Welcome to the Critical Transit Podcast. This is episode 49, uh, almost to the big 50. Um, that'll be soon. So uh, my name is Jeremy Mendelson, and I have been doing this project for a long time, and I'm now also one of the co-founders and the advocacy director of Transit Matters, working for Better Transit in Boston. And um, you can find out more about that at transitmatters.info or uh, me and my personal work at criticaltransit.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Critical Transit, and please get involved in Transit Matters so we can continue to do this work. Um, I wanted to say a couple of things about the MBTA. Um, there are fare increases being proposed, and there's a lot of uh, bashing of employees and some other things that I wanted to talk about, um, how transit works and why it's important, and some solutions that we can do instead of fare increases, um, not these same failed policies that uh, our Republican governor is pushing as if they are innovative and wonderful, um, because they're not. So I just wanted to talk about a couple things that are uh, really pissing me off about this discussion around the MBTA, and it really happens around um, transit everywhere and public services everywhere. Um, when I worked for the post office, they're going through uh, very much the same thing. And um, it's been in the news. There have been a lot of things in the news about the MBTA lately, and I'll get to the, the fare hikes in, in a minute, but or maybe a few minutes. But I really wanted to talk about the... Um, the issues surrounding the overtime um, and these the various expenses. Now, I I was not. I think everybody listening to this probably knows that uh, I am not a fan of Governor Baker and never was a fan of Governor Baker. But when he came in and he said, you know, oh, I'm you know I'm an experienced manager. You know, I know how to fix stuff. And okay, I was willing to you know give him a chance. And when he came out with the control board. The, to fix the MBTA, I was like, okay, well, maybe he knows something that I don't, and maybe he is really, you know, going to do some some good here. Um, but everything we've been hearing about out of the control board is really the same old nonsense that we've been hearing for years. It's, you know, it's it's blame the workers, it's make the riders pay, it's reform before revenue, it's all the same stuff that we've been hearing forever. And it's, you know, when when he when he goes around and he says. Um, no, we're not going to raise. We're not going to raise taxes. Um, and somebody asked him, "Well, you know, what about the RMV fees?" He said, "Well, we're not going to raise that either. We're not going to raise fees either." And but apparently, you know, transit fares. It's not a fee apparently because it's it affects different people, I guess. Um, and you know, people people like Governor Baker will say that it's it's the people. You know, the people don't want the taxes to go up, and the reality is that it's people like him who have caused this um, this perception that we're paying too much and you know there's so much waste in government and all this nonsense that you hear. It's people like him that are spewing this crap. Um, you know the the transit fares, for example, have have more than doubled since 1991, and the gas tax has gone up three cents during that time. Uh, transit fares were 85 cents back then and so when when we think about the you know who pays for what um you know imagine imagine uh having to go to you know say into the highway department where you got to reform yourself and you got to cut 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 before you build this this new interchange or before you you know plow this lane of highway um it's it's very there's there's definitely a disparity in how transit is treated compared to uh, the roads and the highways. Um, the when the cities had to plow 
you know, a lot more last year and had had uh, twice their normal expenses for snow removal, they got emergency funding from the state. Yeah, it took a while, but eventually, you know, it came through. And, um, you know, when transit had all these extra expenses, it's like, oh, somehow they're supposed to do, you know, the riders are supposed to come up with that money, um, you know, out of their own pockets, I guess, or, or they're supposed to just reform themselves and, and cut all the waste. Um, the T has far fewer staff than they did when I started working there in 2006. 10 years ago. So, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to say that this, this idea of rampant waste in government is, is really a, a made up phenomenon. And sure that there's, there's always going to be some kind of inefficiency that you can find in any agency or organization. I know, I know a couple of people actually who work in software and other companies who, uh, you know, who do very little of actual work. I've, and in fact, I've had jobs over the years where I've, you know, not in the public sector, um, but I've had jobs where, you know, I would go to work and there literally was nothing to do. And I would ask my boss and he would, you know, basically say like, why do you keep asking me for work? And, it was, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, they do exist. You, you could find stuff like that. And sure, you're always going to find, you know, like a, a person who uh, looks like they're doing nothing, but, you know, they may or may not be doing nothing. And the traffic and the passengers being assholes to you and you get harassed and you get assaulted occasionally you, there's the risk of that at least and it, it does happen um and and just this you know this constant this hostile atmosphere where you know yes you're okay you're not you're not the management but you know when the rider gets on the rider you you're the one who's got the logo on your sleeve and you take the brunt of that so I think people really need to remember that before they talk about that. And the other thing with the overtime is that, um, you know, short sleeve, the chief administrator came in, in the control board meeting. He said, well, there's, there's so much overtime. We really got to figure out what's going on. And, you know, and he made it sound like, he made it sound like the, like people were abusing it and it was all fake. But basically the reason is it's because of the winter. Um, it's because of last winter, they did not have the staff to deal with, the emergencies and you can't staff up in a situation like that so you just have to pay people overtime to go and shovel out the switches and drive all the extra shuttle buses and, and do all that stuff so when he says that you know people pay, made so much in overtime in 2015 so well is he looking at 2014 as well um I, I have reason to believe based on a lot of things that the control board has put out that you know they're not super sincere in in that um, they've, they've put out a lot of biased data they make comparisons to peer agencies that aren't valid and they've, you know, especially with the fares and um, and other things, the fare box recovery ratio, you know, they compare us to systems like San Francisco, uh, BART and uh, London that have uh, zone and time-based fares. Um, you know, they do things like that that don't, that, that are just aren't relevant to our situation. And um, this big thing that keeps coming up is just that the T is, is understaffed. I mentioned earlier that they have fewer staff than they did 10 years ago and and they have cut um and and you know we still keep hearing this reform before revenue thing and it's like what my, my question is what what is the reform and how much reform do we need like what is it and you know nobody ever defines that it's just a convenient catchphrase to say so that you can get away with not giving the revenue but I, what i want to know is what kind of reform do we need to see and when do we see the revenue because you can't get reform without revenue in any significant way and, you know, so constantly being in this culture of austerity, 
where the T has been in and out of hiring freezes for the past 10 years, maybe even longer. And they just can't hire people. So what they do, and one of the things they did to cut the budget was the they, they got rid of the cover list. Now, the cover list is, or spare operator, spare board, extra board. It's called various things in, in transit. But basically, it's like when you have any kind of essential service, um, you know, the fire department, the police should have something like this, the schools, the libraries. Um, yeah, in public schools, they have, uh, they have substitute teachers. Um, you need to have people whose job it is to come to work and do some non-critical thing, you know, maybe something that matters in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, doesn't have to, doesn't have a deadline. And, but they're, they're there and they're ready to go out and drive a bus. You know, somebody calls in sick or there's a, there's an accident on the road or somebody, you know, something happens that somebody is needed. It's like, there need to be people there who, you know, somebody can tap on the shoulder and say, okay, go get a bus and drive it over here. And the T doesn't have any of that. Um, and so every time they uh, need a shuttle or they have a problem on the route or something, then they you know, wind up paying overtime. And this adds up. And at a, at a very small level, it might be cheaper to pay a few hours of overtime than to hire some another person. But uh, beyond a few hours, it, it becomes expensive because then you're just starting to pay more than you would pay uh, for uh, salary and fringe benefits and everything. And then you have uh, serious safety issues. Um, drivers have serious fatigue. Um, the people that are working split shifts, you know, come in. Most most bus drivers start at split shifts. And, and a lot of people don't realize this, is that all, actually all the bus drivers at the T and, and most bus drivers everywhere start doing a split shift, which means that you, you come in for a few hours in the morning and then you're off on your own time. You don't get paid for it. And then you come back in the, in the afternoon or evening. So, you know, you're, you're working something like, you know, five or six in the morning to like seven at night. And, you know, you do have a break in the middle, but a few hours, but it's like, you, you, you know, probably can't go home or, you know, or if you do, you only get a you know couple hours. It's not quality, you know, it's not a quality schedule. And, you know, then you don't have a lot of time to see your family. So what happens is you wind up very tired and fatigue has been blamed in a number of transit accidents. This is an issue all over the transit industry, and nobody really wants to do anything about it. Um, part of the reason it came about is because um, the transit industry wants, you know, they, they want, they, we've always had a very rush hour focused, you know, you have to increase service in rush hour because you need not only need more frequency, but there's also more traffic, so it takes longer. And so you have, uh, you have some transit agencies even have half their operators doing doing the uh the split shifts and but you know the the operators want full-time hours because they want a job that they can they can depend on a steady job and so that's kind of how that evolved um, but we really need to do something about it we really need to revisit the peak oriented focus of our transit systems because the you know the, the population is growing and there are a lot more riders in the midday and the evening and on the weekends so it's not so peak oriented anymore, and so we really need frequent service at all times. And you know, if we're going to get there, part of that is is dealing with this issue of split shifts as well. So, but in any case, um, if you're if you're working a lot of hours or lousy hours, you're just you know for common sense reasons you're going to have issues uh, with sleep, and so then you get tired and you crash the bus or you know something worse. And, you know, it's so it's not good. It's very risky and it's not a good practice. 
And a few people kind of mentioned that, but I'm really not hearing a discussion of that from the board. And, and that's that's very disappointing and, and really frustrating because we've been trying to drive that home that, you know, the T has been underfunded and understaffed for years and, and it's, it's coming back to bite us. And another thing that when you're understaffed, you have you have bad management. You know, you don't have people on the road supervising the vehicles. You don't have people doing good planning to try to identify some of these operating issues and, you know, figure out plans to solve some of the challenges in particular locations because you're just so busy bouncing from crisis to crisis every day. Um, but, you know, when we keep hearing this reform before revenue, it's like it, it you know, there, there's no there's no appetite for that funding. And I don't know um, where you know, when that's going to come, but I think we really need to just keep kind of driving that home that, that the T is, has chronically underfunded and, uh, no transit system can pay for itself. And we really need to, just like many other services too. I mean, the post office is deliberately underfunded. The fire department, the libraries have been underfunded for years. The schools in many places have been underfunded and there are big disparities, uh, between, you know, schools like Chelsea and Wellesley, for example, like they, they don't even compare. So, it, this is not this is not just in transit. Um, we talked about the fares um, in an interview I did the other day, and the it's you know tr- I compared transit to to healthcare because we were talking about people who might qualify for discounted fares, um, which can be good. But this there's like the sort of a, what they call in the healthcare industry the donut hole of people who basically qualify for Medicaid or Obamacare subsidy, but not you know but they're not. They don't have enough money to actually, or excuse me, they, 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 we're talking about people who don't qualify for the subsidy because they make just a little bit too much money, uh, but they can't afford the, the tremendous cost of a plan themselves. And so that's the kind of, there's similar things in, in, in transit as well. Um, but I want to talk about fare increases because this is a topic that, that everybody has been discussing and i think one of the things that comes out of this discussion of oh the t needs to fix itself and reform before revenue and make the riders pay is that a lot of people don't realize that transit is a public service that benefits everyone uh, and that's true regardless of whether you use it and a lot of people don't realize i would say oh i don't use the t why should i pay for the t well uh, there are a lot of reasons you should pay for the t um, the population has gone up 10% in the past 10 years and it's going to go up a similar amount maybe even more in the next 10 15 years um if the city doesn't wind up underwater from climate change. And when, you know, so that's, the T carries right now, the T carries about a million people, I think 1.3 million people per day. And if you think about that, I mean, do you really want, so if you drive your car on the highways and the streets, like the traffic has gotten far, far worse in the past 10 years because we have not invested in transit. And do you want another million cars on the road or, you know, if the population is going to grow by 75,000 in the next 10 years, like, do you want, you're just in the city of Boston, like, do you want another 75,000 cars in the streets in the city of Boston? Um, that's, that's one thing. Uh, we saw the results of this last winter when the city did not do anything meaningful to uh, do transit priority or anything, and the, the transit system failed, and you had all these cars on the street, and it just, everything just collapsed, and, you know, you simply cannot get people around in cars, and the city would not be what it what it is that we know with all the cars with with that many cars because you you would need a lot more parking you would need a lot more lanes dedicated to traveling and it would reduce safety for walking 
places would not be comfortable to walk because the buildings would have to be farther apart. Uh, they'd be much more car oriented. And so nobody would want to go to these places and walk out. Like nobody, nobody would come from the suburbs and go to downtown or to Copley Square because like from the first night recently, like nobody would do that because they were just, we would just not be able to have those spaces if everybody had to drive there because we just, we would just need so much parking and it just, it just wouldn't work. Um, the so the population is increasing like this is not just a city problem this is um this is everywhere this is because of rising rents people are moving to places that transit dependent people have never lived before and you know a lot of people are winding up getting cars because the service is is lousy in the suburbs and it's expensive commuter rail in particular very very expensive um it's the fare 1050 one-way fare um to go to the Zone 8 commuter rail to Worcester and Providence and Lowell. And if you're and in Fitchburg, and so if, if you're um, taking a family of four to Boston for the day, that's $84. And, you know, if who's going to do that? And this is why the ridership is so low, and we think the fares are, are way too high for a commuter rail. Um, and so this is a problem everywhere. And we... But most importantly, really, the, the T is the is the lifeblood of the economy. As I've said many times before, um, even if you don't use the T, you depend on people who do use the T, um, whether that be friends or family or just the people who work in the stores that you shop at, the servers in your restaurants, the person that cuts your hair if you go to do that. Um, you know, the everybody you depend on to provide services or work in stores is you know at least in, in this in this core of the city at least the majority of the people are getting there by transit and those places would not be what they were what they are and they would not be able to function as they are if they had to pay people wages where they could buy cars um and cars are you know very difficult for low-income people which i mean that's the reason that people think of the most when they think about fares is and, and transit is uh, low-income people and that's you know, there are a lot of places, in fact, probably most places in this country where the primary focus of transit is poor people who can't afford a car. And if we if we continue to create this disparity where, you know, the transit just keeps getting worse and worse and the fares keep going up and up, then, you know, people who have other means are going to leave it. And then you're going to wind up with this system that just serves the poor and they have no political voice um, and no power. And, you know, cynical people would say that that's what the governor Baker wants um you take that for for uh what you will I don't, I don't know for sure but i'm not not the biggest fan of his um and so what what we've seen is that transit has not improved in the past in at least the past 20 years um in any significant way you know we built a few uh commuter rail extensions and you know probably the biggest thing that happened in the city is this was the silver line um, going to the, to the airport, but even that, I mean, it's you know, it still operates in mixed traffic. It's not wonderful. It's and it's in the seaport. It's over capacity. We built an entirely new neighborhood in the seaport district, and we built this like pathetic little transit line, um, which is just you know a bus and a tunnel that goes at ten miles per hour, and it it re- and it requires you know a transfer to go a very short distance. Uh, it it really doesn't doesn't serve people that are coming from outer areas and. Um, and that's why you get the traffic that you do in the seaport. And this is a model for for everywhere. When you don't build the transit, you get the traffic. 
This is one of the reasons we have so much traffic in Boston, despite the density of the city, is that we have such poor regional transit. Um, you know, we have 93 going to the South Shore. Um, you have the Red Line going to Braintree, but other than that, there's really nothing serving the rest of the South Shore in any efficient, convenient way, and particularly West. Um, you, you know, you got the Green Line going out to Riverside. The Green Line is the one mode that has not increased capacity, uh, is, excuse me, has not increased ridership in the past five years, uh, and that's because uh, it is just so crowded that you literally, you will try it, you know, so you, so you try the Green Line once, uh, even even not in rush hour, like it's crowded at all times. But you try the green line, and you're like, "Fuck this shit! I'm never doing this again," because it's just so crowded. It is a miserable experience. It's slow, uh, you know. And, and half the time you stand over there, you stand over there at Park Street. You know, you're waiting for your B B train or a D train or whatever, and all all that's coming is C trains. And you just, you know, it's just so unreliable that you you wind up. Um, you know, it's just it, you wind up saying, "Oh, you know, if you have another option, you're just never going to do that again." And the commuter rail, like I said, is is infrequent and it's very expensive. So, but those are the options to the west, and that's like the rest, pretty much the rest of the state is the west. And so we need far better transit going out into the into the suburbs, uh, far cheaper. Um, that may seem a little counterintuitive uh, that you're charging more for coming farther away. But if you look at the gas prices right now, they're so low, and the cost of owning a car is, yes, is very high, uh, and it's more expensive than using transit, but if you already have a car, the cost of using it is basically zero in the city because it's just the cost of gas. Now, if you're driving from an hour away, then there's there's some cost in there. You know, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's a gallon of gas, so it's like $2, you know, whereas the commuter rail is costing you 8 or 16 round trip. So, you know, the given given these problems and, and if we actually do want to reduce traffic and greenhouse gases uh, and get more people to use transit, then, you know, we have to make it so that people will voluntarily choose transit. You can't just force people onto transit. People are using cars for various reasons because it's the best mode for them. It works for them. Uh, maybe transit doesn't work for them. You can't just like force people onto existing transit. What you have to do is make transit that works for people and is efficient and effective and people will want to use it. Uh, fast, frequent, reliable, and effective transit. I will be right back after the break uh, talking about fare increases and some solutions and how we can get transit to function better uh, for everyone and be cheaper to operate. It is possible. So a little bit more on the a little bit more on the um, fare increases here. Um, I mentioned that fare increases hurt everyone, even if you're not poor. Um, this is because when people um, when people have other options, they will choose those. And we have um, Uber has come around in the past few years, uh, and Lyft, and there's also Bridge, which is private transit, and there are other companies that are looking to start up things like this, and they're kind of waiting to see what the T is doing, but. The T has not changed significantly, as I've said, in over 20 years. And, you know, even though ridership is up 30% on the major lines, uh, that'd be rail and bus, um, with the exception of the green line, it's only up 10% in the past 10 years because it's basically at capacity. 
um, but the ridership is up, um, you know, exorbitant amount. And, and anybody who uses transit knows this. And anybody who says, I know Mayor Walsh recently, he was quoted as saying, oh, you know, oh, it's not that bad. Um, but clearly, you know, it's like if you don't use it, you might think, oh, it's fine. There was a poll actually in, um, yeah, we talked about this in episode 21 of the Transit Matters podcast, which with Rich Parr and uh, of Massing Polling. And we talked about the um, poll, the recent poll of Governor Baker. And basically it was, there were a number, it was broken down in a number of ways. And one of the things that I found most interesting was, and, and sort of obvious to me, was the and the rating for Governor Baker fixing the T was like, or it was, or it was the will the T be? Do you think the T is better or worse off than than it was, you know, a year ago, and you know before the winter? And it it seems like pretty much if you if you take out if you make broad generalizations about um, where people are living and um, you know you see basically the people that live in central and western Mass by and large thought that or at least you know majority thought that the tea, the tea yeah the tea is doing better the tea is doing pretty well you know i approve of governor baker's handling of, of the tea but those who use the tea you know by and large the people in boston and you know in the boston region uh, by and large said uh, the tea is the same as it's always been i mean you get on the train it's the same disabled train it's the same like you know you get on the i get on the orange line half the time and it's like you know, we crawls into the station, we get in, and then it's like, you know, the door has trouble closing, we get in, and then it finally starts moving, and then it slams in the brake, and, you know, it's bumpy, it's slow, there's there's always traffic ahead, there's always, like, it's just, you know, a signal problem, it's like, it's the same stuff as always, you know, in terms of the rider experience, and, and we haven't had a bad winter this year so far, so it's been extremely mild, so it's uh, sort of hard to say, it's almost, it's almost like some of us are, like, wishing for a really bad winter, so we can, we can actually see the results of, of what's going on. Um, but you know, with that, I found that really interesting because it shows that, um, there really hasn't been much visible change and, you know, some of the investments have been good. Um, so fixing switch heaters and uh, replacing third rail, things like that. Uh, those are good things, but it pales in, in, uh, it's, it's like a drop in the bucket compared to what's really needed. Um, the, we have a $7 billion maintenance backlog just to keep things exactly as the way they are. And if we if we fund that over twenty five years, it's going to be about twenty five billion because of interest. So, but we have um, if you if you look at if you use the T, you realize that it's not just like the way it exists now needs to be made more reliable. It needs to be expanded. I mean, the capacity right now the red line is over capacity. The buses are all over capacity. The orange line is is nearly over capacity. Uh, the green line, forget about it. I mean, it's and and there are, so there are major needs. There are also major needs of of rail, like you know, putting the blue line to Lynn and the orange line to Hyde Park and Roslindale and things like that. But especially in the core, uh, we need to invest in cross town fast, uh, like almost like bus rapid transit, like kind of like fast bus service, or um, you know, ultimately like really moving towards like planning for a subway on Mass Ave or you know, cross town subway going through Longwood or something like that. And we really need to make investments so, so that these things reduce the number of people going downtown, make trips more efficient, get people on transit. And also, you know, looking at downtown congestion, you know, can we get in there and can we rebuild downtown and Park Street and State Street and, you know, make them function better? Can we make it so that the train doesn't sit there for three minutes trying to board people? And while everybody's just crammed in and like literally fighting for an inch of space to try to get out with that one exit in the back of the red line platform at downtown crossing. Um 
or the front, I guess, on the other side, um, <laughs> or the back of the orange line all the time. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of needs, that things that we need to do that are not within that $7 billion. And, and I think also in terms of the funding, the only way you're ever going to get people to fund the T is going to be by doing these other things. You know, nobody wants to pay the $7 billion for what is basically the same service. Uh, people want to see new lines. They want to see better service. They want to see frequent, rapid bus service with signal priority and dedicated protected lanes and, you know, good bus stops and information and all the rest. And, you know, without that, like, we're just going to be stuck in this same. And part of this is the T doesn't have a vision. You know, the T has, the T is stuck in, in their in their old ways. And they, um, you know, I mean, part of that obviously being the fact that they don't really have staff to, to make much of a vision, but, but also part of it is that they themselves are, you know, most of them are former bus drivers and who just, or they've, you know, been there a long time and they don't, all they know is Boston and they don't, you know, they're not going to other places and saying, oh, San Francisco has all door boarding and, you know, um, you know, Portland has proof of payment and New York has, has had great success with this select bus service by taking the, the fares off and doing bus lanes and speeding up bus service and, you know, and, and Chicago runs all night and yes, they can still do maintenance and, you know, they don't really think about what's going on in other places. And they just do what they've always done. And so a lot of that has to has to fall on the T itself. Um, finally, I want to say that there, instead of uh, fare increases, there are far more effective ways to increase revenue, um, such as increasing ridership, collecting fares more efficiently, uh, and reducing travel times. Uh, and those, um, all three of those are, are really related, and they come with none of the negative impacts of higher fees. Um, older boarding is basically... Um, in a, in a full proof of payment model, like um, a number of light rail systems, and pretty much every light rail system in the country uh, does, then that that base and, and all bus systems all over Europe do is basically you have to buy a ticket before you get on the bus, either on a you know at the station or in a um, on the platform or in a convenience store nearby or something, and and then or you know if you have a pass you you don't have to do anything. And then, you know, you just get on. The bus pulls up, you get on, and it goes. And it's not spending 30% of its running time at the stop, literally waiting while people line up in the cold and the rain and the snow uh, at the front door to pay their fares. Um, like happens on the green line, 30% of the running time on the B line is spent collecting fares. Um, and the thing crawls. And if you can get... Um, um, so, so basically what what they do is, is they have the inspectors that come around. Um, not every time, but you know, at, least at some, some percent of trips, uh, and we'll check and ask if you have a ticket. And if you don't have a ticket, you get a fine. And they've shown in a number of places, they've shown fare evasion rates as low as 3%, um, which is, you know, we know that the B line has to have fare evasion at more than 3%. Um, in some places, in some cases, they've found that even, you know, up to 30% of people getting on the green line were going in the back door, which is what they call non-interaction. They're not interacting with the fare box in any way. Um, so many of many of those people could have passes, um, but many of those people also could just not be paying. Um, and so we don't know. So what we're proposing here is is some kind of is a hybrid, like San Francisco has just implemented a couple of years ago on their buses, and it's it's making a big difference. Is which is um, all door boarding, which would be uh, basically the way to think about this is um, if you have a pass uh, or you you just pay and you have a valid transfer, you can just get on the back door. Um, if you have to pay cash, then you still have to, or, you know, the, um, 
you know, trolley cards stored ride, like you have to pay for every trip, then you can go to the front door. But at least we can get people with passes to go in the back door and, and then, you know, we'll do the inspections and then that'll save a lot of time because the train or the bus pulls up and you could just keep on going. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I really think is, and, and ultimately, you know, move towards proof of payment, but that requires, you know, the full system where there's no fare box on the train or the bus basically requires having all the, you know, the infrastructure for the machines at the stations and, you know, working with convenience stores and, and doing all the rest to make sure that people can buy their fares off the bus. And that's, you know, we're a long way from getting there. So we think that the hybrid is a, is a good way. Um, one thing you could do also is you could put a, you could put a fare, um, basically like a, instead of a fare box, but like a very small, like little um, reader at the back door so that you can, um, if you have to pay with a Charlie card, you can just tap it over there. Um, you know, so this way, like you can still go in the back door, but so basically just like keep people from going in the front door if, if possible. Um, and it's not, you know, many stops, probably most stops in the system, it doesn't really matter. It's only one or two people, but we have many, many the major stops and especially at the terminals at, you know, Sullivan and Ruggles and Harvard, uh, Ashmont places where there's like, there's, there's so much, there's, it would be so easy to either put in fare gates or, um, you know, implement some kind of system where people could pay before they get on. Um, you know, we have the buses and Harvard is a particularly egregious example because you have, it's only each busway has one lane. So you have, you know, the 77 is collecting fares from 50 people and all the buses behind it are like, you know, just stuck there and just can't move. Um, and that's a particularly egregious example. So when you're paying somebody, you know, you're paying them in terms of including the, the operator cost and, and the you know cost of the vehicle and the maintenance and everything else, it's cost costs about a hundred and probably about $120 an hour to operate uh, bus service on the MBTA. So, um, you know, that's a system-wide average, but, but assuming you're, you know, that's what you're paying. So that's a lot of money to pay to essentially babysit people. Um, what are you getting for that money? If you imagine what a 20% increase in service could look like, um, even if you use it for somewhere else or you, in the same place, just, you know, we have no more trains and we have no more people that we can afford to pay. So if you just turn those trains around faster, you get more frequent service, you get more ridership, um, you're not wasting money collecting fares. It's a win-win overall. So that's one thing we, we really, we're really big fans of a Transit Matters, and I've been pushing this a lot. Um, fare structure and the, the, rethinking the whole fare system and really thinking about, I mentioned like how the commuter rail is super expensive, um, but also looking at how at opportunities for, for people to use commuter rail for shorter trips. Um, so to make, you know, I often talked about like better service in Chelsea as an example. Um, but also, you know, redo the Fairmont line and, um, you know, rethink the, the fare policy overall so that people can come from Lynn and Rosendale and Waltham, places that are pretty close, uh, but which are very expensive. And right now people are taking the, the bus to the subway, which just takes like an hour and a half and, um, you know, cost them a lot of time. And it's, you know, it's really expensive to pay bus, pay a bus driver, um, you know, to, to pay the cost of, of operating a bus for in that service whereas if you you might not need as many buses if you could just get people on on the train at rossendale and waltham and hyde park and lynn and places like that and also thinking about people who are being forced to move out to these gateway cities like brockton and lawrence and having to take commuter rail and you know that we need to think about that as, as well so um just a real broad overview but also um the transfer issue that 
um, there was really no reason that uh, somebody suggested to me, we, um, I think it was Josh um, of Transit Matters, who suggested that we, the, why can't the commuter rail conductors just carry, either carry some kind of reader that so you can pay with your Charlie card and get a transfer, or uh, they can carry like a paper transfer in their pocket and just give it to you so you can use, you know, so you can transfer to the subway. And, um, and that goes to the other point of having, uh, having a more flexible transfer. Right now you only get one transfer allowed in, in, uh, and you have two hours to use it. What we're proposing is that we have an, sort of an, a two-hour unlimited transfer, which is basically it allows you to complete a lot of trips that are right now not possible on a single fare. So if you have to take, say you come from Roxbury to Chelsea and you have to take a bus to the Orange Line and then take the Orange Line, that's your one fare right there. And then when you get off the Orange Line at Sullivan or Haymarket or wherever, you need to pay again. And that limits a lot of people's flexibility. It also does things like, um, for example, to go from uh, um, uh, Rosendale to, no, yeah, Rosendale to Brighton, let's say, um, you would have to take a bus to the Orange Line and then you'd have to take the Orange Line all the way downtown to get the Green Line to go all the way out to Brighton where and maybe even walk. Whereas... If you could just take, um, if you could just take the um, bus to Forest Hills and the 39 to the 66 and maybe the 57, three or four buses, it'd be far faster and it reduces congestion downtown because you don't have to go downtown and create, you know, yet another person standing there in rush hour. So things like this, we really, I think, we, a two-hour transfer is is very appropriate. A lot of cities do this now. Um, you know, Minneapolis and Portland just went up to two two and a half hours. Um, there are, there are a number of cities in San Francisco is one of our peer cities in a lot of ways, and they've just done all their boarding. Um, they also have a 90-minute transfer, which they've done um, for many years actually now. Um, basically, you just pay your fare, and then you get a you get a receipt or it's on your card that you can take. You just essentially get a two-hour a 90-minute pass. San Francisco geographically is a lot smaller than Boston um, because we're just talking about the San Francisco Muni Transit Agency uh, in the city of San Francisco. Um, so for here, it's probably like two hours. Um, we could get into figuring out which stations we want to allow transfers to and stuff, but I think that's just too complicated and it limits freedom. Um, and the other thing with a two-hour transfer is you'll be able to make a stopover. So you know, if you're if you need to stop at the grocery store on the way home, um, why should you have to pay again? Or if you need to, you know, if you have to um, say for the change lines downtown, you want to get up and go to the bathroom or something. You know, or you grab a bite to eat, or just you know take a break. Um, let's say you're a say you're a senior and you have trouble in the, you know, standing for long periods of time. And you just want to go sit down on the common or something like that. Um, there's a lot of reasons. You have a child maybe who just you know is having a, needs a break. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons that um, we should allow stopovers, and it encourages ridership. And you know that's what we want to do in conjunction with increasing capacity. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, the third thing I was reduced commuter fares, but I already talked about that. Um, and so in, and I hope this has been helpful. Um, I just want to say in closing that, um, the MBTA does need more money. Uh, don't ever forget that. Um, there are serious management issues that we need to address. Um, but a lot of this stuff can't happen without funding. Um, it has to go together and, um, it's not a business, uh, transit is not a business and it should not be treated as one, uh, just like the fire department and library and schools, um, and healthcare and everything else that's important to us as a public good. The only reason we even charge fares on transit in the first place is because it used to be a private business. And, you know, since that failed, there are a lot of small towns and cities that are starting transit and it, because there's incredible need. 
and uh, many of them are just not charging a fare because they're saying why why would we charge you know this is a public service why would we charge a fare um it's just because others have always done it that they continue to do it um and i'm not arguing for free transit right now um because we don't have the re we need the resources for it but we really should identify the resources and move toward uh free transit or or very very cheap transit and i will do a future podcast uh, soon i've been promising this for a while um, I will do a future podcast uh, talking about the benefits of free transit and debunking all the myths of, of free transit for uh, for our, uh, basically for places outside of Boston, maybe Boston in the future. And um, fare increases no substitute for adequate public funding. So it's just as simple as, it, as that gets. Um, please reach out to me, uh, send me feedback, comments, suggestions, and uh, if you want to hear more about certain things, um, please let me know. I'm always happy to do that and um, talk transit. Uh, I'm Jeremy Mendelson. Uh, you can find me at criticaltransit.com or on Twitter at criticaltransit. I do tweet a lot. Um, and I'm also the advocacy director and one of the co-founders of Transit Matters, which you can find at transitmatters.info. Um, so please please reach out to us there, and I want to hear from you. Uh, go If you get one, one thing out of this podcast, um, go join Transit Matters at transitmatters.info and um, join us a volunteer, as a member, uh, donate, help us uh, raise funds so that we continue to do the important work uh, that I've talked about in here.